Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thanks, Daniel. Good morning again, church. It's good to see you. We are in uh, First Peter. It's our third week in First Peter. Who knew? So much good stuff in First Peter. Well, after First Peter, we're going to go to Second Peter, and um, I'm excited to see. This is going to take us all the way through the spring. So we'll be ending, wrapping up Second Peter right about the time summer starts. Um, today, we're actually starting in verse 13, which if you've been following along and paying attention, is a little bit of a skip. Um, verses, we're skipping verses 11, 12, and, uh, 10, 11, and 12. Um, but here's why. I'm just going to tell you why. So Peter um, addresses the Word of God, how it was written, and a lot of great things about the Bible he does it twice in 1 Peter and then twice in 2 Peter. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait till the end of 2 Peter and look at all that he says about the Word and pull that together in one sermon. So I'm not jumping over it because it's, it's not good. It's just I, wanna, I want you to experience the fullness of all that Peter teaches about the Word of God. So we'll start in verse 13 today, but don't worry if you're, like, you're following along in your notes. We will come back to those verses 10, 11, and 12. All right, so... Uh, a couple of just quick announcements. First of all, um, I am excited to announce to you that we have a staff hire. Officially this week, we have extended an offer, and this person um, accepted the offer. Uh, so I want to introduce to you Robbie Waller. Uh, Robbie's been around longer than me. Um, he's been around for a while at Solid Rock. This is Robbie and Carol. Um, Robbie has been working as kind of a contract laborer since the summer helping us with building maintenance. Um, as we opened up this building and the campus got bigger, we realized that we we're gonna need somebody on staff to help. And so he will start in his official capacity as building maintenance manager uh, in about a week. Uh, and so just wanted you to know that. That does not mean rush out and find Robbie and tell him every, about every screw that you found that was loose. But we do want you to know who is gonna be working on these sorts of things. And if you do find something on the campus that needs to be addressed, uh, you would know whose attention to bring that to. So this is Robbie Waller. If you see him today, uh, he's, I think, maybe backstage right now. Please welcome him to our staff team. We are excited to have Robbie. Uh, yeah, you can clap for that. He's not in the room, so if you can hear me, Robbie, we're clapping for you. He's probably listening on the TV back there because he just brought the table out, so he had to slide out. Uh, second of all, just a quick reminder that this Wednesday is Wednesday worship. We do this once a month for adults. Students and kids meet every Wednesday. Uh, but um, this is February the 15th, this Wednesday, and it'll be our Wednesday worship, a time to come together uh, to hear some preaching. Uh, this particular Wednesday will be one of our elder mentees and uh, to have a time of worship together, but the service is smaller, it's shorter, uh, leaving space for fellowship. So want you to have space to connect midweek with other believers. There's plenty of time to catch up, pray for one another, uh, make plans to go have lunch or dinner or coffee together or whatever whatever comes up so just come Wednesday night uh, plan on being here and then plan on hanging around and enjoying a time of fellowship afterwards all right so uh, we're going to get into first Peter um, verse chapter 1 verse 13 so here's the verse um, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is where I got the subtitle for the whole series, Full of Hope. 
as Peter writes to struggling Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. We talked about that over the last two Sundays. He doesn't want them to just get by or just survive. He actually wants them to be full of hope. And so that, that's dripping from his letter, all these, these kind of things that Peter is sharing with them. The, the intent is that he would fill their hearts with, with hope. What I want to look at with you first, though, is this very first word, and it's a really important word, therefore. And you've probably, if you've been around church, you've heard a preacher give a sermon, come across this word and say, when you see the word therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. Okay, so you know that. Okay, I just want to give you some why behind that. It is a really important connecting word. Um, it oftentimes connects um, the indicatives in God's word to the imperatives. I'll break that down for us. So when you come across the indicatives in God's word, oftentimes it's a description of who you are or what God has done for you already, who you are in Christ. It's a reference to maybe your salvation or the grace God has poured out in your life. It's what's already true about you, okay? When we talk about imperatives, we're talking about the commands. So, so far in Peter's letter, we haven't come across any commands. All Peter has been doing is describing what is already ours in Christ. Now, we will also talk about from time to time how the connection between obedience and love is this. We strive to obey God because he loves us, not we strive to obey God to earn his love. We strive to obey God because we already have his love, okay? That's the indicative. We have his love. I'm in Christ. You're bathed in his love. You're drenched in his grace and mercy. That's already true about you, okay? It's an indication of who you are in Christ, Therefore, we move to imperatives. Therefore, here are the commands. And so this would be one, a great example of, of that here in the text, this connection, because so far, Peter has laid out these theological truths about who we are in Christ. Now, he's going to give us four commands. And so we're going to see that these four commands are rooted in what he's already said. Okay? So here's where I want to start with us this morning. We have to think about what did we learn over the last two Sundays. It's this, what is already true about you? We have a slide for this. Here's what Peter has already said. You have been born again into a living hope and an inheritance that is untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. That's already true about you. Therefore, he's going to give us some instructions. You with me? So we don't want to lose sight of that therefore. We don't want to lose sight of what is already true so that we don't misunderstand Peter and say oh my gosh I'm suffering because I don't have the love of God I've got to go obey him in all these things and hopefully I'll get the love of God Peter's like no you already have that this is already true about you so therefore and here's what he says he says therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded now that's not the command it's just a description okay so Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, here's the command, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This idea of preparing your minds, it's actually a Greek word that is used in military context most frequently. It's the idea of girding up your loins, putting on your protective armor, 
It's similar to what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So it's the idea of like binding yourself up, but to put it into modern context, it might be even equivalent to like rolling up your sleeves. We know what that means, right? It's time to roll up your sleeves. It's trying to prepare yourself for something. Okay, so he's about to give us a command it's going to help us prepare our minds for action and help us become sober-minded. And here's the first command. Completely, fully set your hope on the grace of Jesus. Now, he words it in a really strategic way. Set your hope fully. That's yeah, to completely set your hope. So it isn't the idea that hey, I know you have your hope set on a lot of things, like maybe getting out of debt or this new job or this new relationship or maybe this relationship I already have will turn around and you've got your hope kind of hanging on different hooks. He's not saying, hey, I want to give you another hook to add and, and I want you to also hang your hope on Jesus. He's saying, no, I want you to completely take your hope off of all these other hooks and take all of your hope fully, completely, and hang it on the grace of Jesus. Here he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I was briefly talking with Daniel and one of our elders who read a few minutes ago um, before the service began about this kind of connection between what's true right now and what is to come. If you just read this kind of at first glance you're like oh so i don't get any grace until jesus comes back because that's a clear reference to the revelation of jesus the second coming of christ when jesus returns to make all things new and to finally and forever restore what was lost at the curse in the garden so you read that at first glance you go oh man i was kind of hoping i could get a little bit of that grace right now this is the the now and the not yet of our faith I'll use a different example, and we'll come back to grace. Think about the joy of salvation. Um, I hope that if you're in Christ, you've had an experience of salvation. And with that experience came some level of joy. Now, it may have been big and dramatic, like Paul's conversion experience. And like, you just want to shout it from the rooftops. Or you may have had a whole bunch of smaller moments strung together. And I think about Peter's testimony. Like he's, he's up and he's down. He's up and he's down. He's up and he's down. Maybe that's more of your experience. But with that comes a joy. But what I would believe to be true is whatever amount of joy you have experienced with your salvation, it does not compare to the joy that is to come when Christ returns. And you see him fully. You know him fully, therefore you will comprehend more fully his kindness and his grace towards you. And whatever joy you have now will become bigger. You think of it that way. So this is, this is how I understand what Peter's getting at here with the grace. He's not saying, hey, sorry, there's no grace for you until Jesus comes back. He's saying is that when Christ comes back, you will understand fully the full extent of God's kindness to you. His grace to you. And so he said, I want you to set your hope, not just on future grace, but the grace you have right now 
that will be fully realized when Christ returns. Take all of your hope. Gather it all up. Whatever it is, gather it up. Take it off of the hook of a better marriage. Take it off of the hook of a better job. Take it off of the hook of whatever. Gather up all your hope and hang it on one hook. The grace of Jesus. And this is his first command. Matter of fact, I think as we move forward, he's not going to want us to read these next three commands without also thinking about this command. Matter of fact, the next commands are going to be daunting and impossible without this command. So I think he started here strategically. Set your hope fully on the grace of Jesus. This idea of hope here is so much more than what, how we use the word hope. You know, like some of us are like, man, I hope the Chiefs win today. But you don't know. There's a few of you who are like hoping the Eagles are going to win today. That might be a little bit more sure hope. I don't know. Maybe thinking, I hope it, hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I got this thing planned. I just hope it doesn't. And that's more like wishful thinking, right? That's not really hope the way that Peter's explaining hope. He's explaining a hope that is certain. It's a certainty about what is to come, not wishful thinking. It's a future reality that you're banking on that is rooted in a past tense reality or event. Because Jesus has died and rose again, past tense, we look forward with full confidence in what he's going to do in the future. And if it's something we can set our minds on, then it's something you can choose. So I don't just have to sit around and wait for a gut feeling. I can actually choose to set my hope on the grace of Jesus. I can choose. Now here's the hard part though. The undoing of attaching my hope to other things. That's the hard part. That's the scary part. Isn't it? That's the fearful part. So this requires letting go of setting your hope on other things 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 that bring you comfort jesus may call you he will call you to find your comfort somewhere else namely in him and out of that a relationship with other brothers and sisters but primarily and namely him things that bring you confidence letting go if you're going to put all your hope in jesus you're going to have to be willing to let go of where you find your comfort in other things, where you find your confidence in other things, where you find your security in other things. And by the way, this is how we become sober-minded. This is how we prepare our minds, how we roll up our sleeves, so to speak, in preparation for battle. Uh, there's a passage that I will refer to often. It's just full of goodness uh, it's a special moment with the Apostle Paul. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he's talking about the thorn in the flesh. And it's helpful in so many ways, but what I love about it is just this moment of vulnerability with Paul. Like he's writing corrective letters to the churches, but he's also talking about his own struggles along the way and how things get hard and, you know, feeling like he's crushed in some moments and perplexed. And, and here's one of those moments where he's like, guys, let me just tell you about an honest part of my own story coming out of 2 Corinthians 12. I'll read 
I'll read it, the whole, the whole section here. So to keep me from becoming conceited, that means placing your confidence in yourself, your own strength, your flesh. So instead of like hanging your hope on yourself, Paul's saying to keep me from hanging my hope on me and what I could do, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. That is a metaphor. I don't think he literally had a splinter, although he could have. I just, I think this is a, a symbol. It's a metaphor for whatever was going on in his life. Because he refers to this thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited, placing my confidence in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, do not hang your hope on the removal of this thorn, your own strength, what you can do for yourself. Take all of your hope and hang it on my grace. My grace will be enough, sufficient to get you through this thing that's hard. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, this is Jesus speaking, is made perfect in weakness, your weakness. What I can do is made perfect in what you can't do. And then, therefore, I will. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's my imperative. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think this is a moment where Paul's talking about his own journey through suffering and maybe it was persecution, maybe it was something else. We don't know what the struggle was. But like Peter, he's saying, I had to come to the place where Jesus said, Paul, take your hope. Take it off of all these things that you can do for yourself. Take it off of this desire to have this thorn removed. I may not ever remove it. Take all of that hope and hang it on the grace of Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you. That's the first command. Completely set your hope on the grace of Jesus. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the second command here, a command to holiness. Now, I think this is important for us to understand what the first command was, which was the grace of Jesus. In your pursuit of being holy, and we'll talk about what that means, you aren't going to get it right every time. If your hope was based on that, that's a hope based in what you can do. But as he calls us to holiness and obedience... He's rooting that in our first command of what? Set your hope on the grace of Jesus. You're going to need it. Okay? Now let's talk about holiness and obedience here. One of the things, uh, maybe a mistake, uh, I'll use that word, a mistake that we can make in the church as we call people to obedience, as we um, observe the commands of God and we call one another to those commands is, is to see the commands of God or view them or understand them apart from a relationship specifically a familial relationship. 
Because he starts off, as, as he calls us to obedience, he calls us what? Children. He wants you to understand that as you pursue obedience to Christ, as you pursue holiness, you're doing so within the context of a familial relationship with God. Matter of fact, he's going to mention it in just a few minutes in verse 17. If you call him father, here he's calling us children. So as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who is holy, he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Now, if I understand obedience within the context of a familial relationship, here's what I know. My heavenly Father always has my good in mind, and whatever he can, commands of me leads to my good and his glory. Dads, don't we establish rules in the home to direct our children towards what is good for them? And we do it imperfectly. So how much more is our Heavenly Father perfect in His commands? This is so important. As you think about your obedience to God, that you are obeying God because you first believe he's a good father and whatever he has commanded of you leads to what is best for you. It won't always seem that way, which is why we need to engage this with faith. When my, one of my boys comes to me at 10 o'clock at night and says, Dad, can I have this Dr. Pepper? And I say no. That no is rooted in what I believe to be best for them. I'm not desiring to withhold good. I'm actually wanting to give them good. And in that moment, does it feel good to them? Not in our house. Maybe you, not in our house. Why not? I want it. I know you want it. But it isn't to your good to have it. Now tomorrow, 1 p.m., we'll talk about it. But 10 o'clock tonight is no. This is the answer is no. Now that's a super simple example. But as we think about the commands of God, we've got to hear them from the voice of a loving Father who is for our good. And so the command here is to be holy as He is holy. So again, we want to think about this within a familiar relationship. We are His children. Be like your Father. That's the command. Now it's described this way. He's holy, so since you're one of His children, be like him by being holy. This is a big word. has a lot of meaning packed into it. Two different kind of trains of thought here. One, this word holiness means this. Um, it, means the, it means to be kind of uh, in awe of, something, like something worthy of awe or reverence, something, someone, um, or this idea of somebody, some, something or someone worthy of worship. Somebody is this, this holy, this reverent being. God is reverent. He's, he's a being worthy of, of worship, right? So that's part of his holiness. The second part of this, and probably even the more practical understanding of holiness, is the idea of just being set apart, being different. So applied to human beings, be different from the condition of the average human being. Be set apart 
be different. God is different. How is he different? He's good. He's righteous. He's loving. He's kind. He's just. He's morally pure. He doesn't entertain evil thoughts. So all of these are descriptions of how God is set apart. There is no one like him. And so now as his children, the command is coming to us to be set apart from the people around us, from the world around us. Okay? So I've not yet met the Christian who has this down. I've met some who think they do. And they totally missed the first command. Set their hope fully on the grace of Jesus. You're going to need the grace of Jesus. Okay? The point isn't we're going out there and we're working hard to become holy beings so we can earn God's favor. Peter's like, no, you already have that. You already have that relationship. You're already one of his children. Now, because you're one of his children, now seek after holiness. Why? Because your dad is holy. Be like your father. In complete holiness. He actually gives us some further instruction when he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We've talked in here a couple of times about the former self before Christ, the former version of me. Um, this idea of being conformed kind of has two implications. It's don't be conformed this way, but be conformed this way. So it's like you're always being conformed. This is how Paul says it in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world or the pattern of this world but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind so don't be trans don't be conformed to the pattern of this world but then in romans 8 he says those for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so his beings like like the idea is like our character is never really static we're moving Growing, I oftentimes like will compare it to watching a tree grow. You ever seen a tree grow? I mean, apart from time lapse video, you can't see a tree grow. But if you revisit a tree five years later, you can see that it has grown. Oftentimes, the change happening inside of us is a lot like that. Sometimes it's dramatic and it's quick and it's big moments and aha. And oftentimes it's slow. Faith, I believe God's working in me, transforming, conforming me over time into the image of his son so why why would we desire to be obedient and pursue holiness because God is for your good and all of his commands lead to your good when you think about that actually think about whether or not you believe that or do you, can, you, can you see some of them are for your good and these other ones over here? I, I don't know. Do you believe that God's commands are for your good? That's the why behind it. Here's the how. How do we do this? By living in obedience to his commands by faith. If you attempt to strive towards holiness without faith, it's going to be a miserable experience. You're not going to know what to do when you fall short. You're not going to know what to expect out of God when you fall short. Is he mad at me? 
Is he going to chase me around the house now? Am I grounded? And so here's how I would word the how. We believe that his commands by faith are for our greatest good. You have to start there. Any other pursuit of holiness is going to be arbitrary in a sense. He is a good father. You are his child. We start by believing his commands are for our greatest good. Here's the second thing. We also believe that the Holy Spirit, his spirit, is at work within us. As we choose to walk in obedience, we do so empowered by his spirit in us. Am I going to get it right all the time? No. But is there going to be a movement inside of me towards holiness and obedience over time? Yes. I believe that by faith. I don't believe that because I'm hanging the hope on, on my ability to be holy. My, my hope is on the grace of Jesus, and I believe his spirit is working in me. Do you believe God's spirit is working in you? As you step towards holiness, that's a step of faith. And then third is this, here's the how. We believe that when we fall short, he is there for us like a good dad. Not rubbing, rubbing our noses in our failures, but embracing us with compassion and forgiveness and calling us back into our identity as sons and daughters to continue striving to walk in obedience. We have set our hope on the grace of Jesus. So how do you parent? Is it done? Like when your kids misbehave and disobey, is it done? Like, oh, well, so much for our family. Good luck with rent. You didn't make your bed. No, like you correct, right? You explain, here's why this is important and this is part of the stewardship of our home and when you do this, it helps us know you see that you're part of our home. However you explain that, right? But the relationship's not done because there's been a, dis there's been a disobedience. The same thing is true with God. So command two is this, with your hope set on the grace of Jesus, live your lives as children of God. And that's a very summarized way to say it, specifically obedience and pursuing holiness. Be like your dad, your heavenly father. He is holy, you strive towards holiness, but all this is rooted in what? Our hope is set on the grace of Jesus. Verse, let's pick this up in verse 17. Get to the third command. Here again is the familial connection, and if you call him on him as father, don't lose sight of that, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the times of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, for he, has, he, wa he was foreknown, this is Jesus, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest or revealed or visible in the last times for the sake of you, for who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are where? Hanging where? In him, in God. Now, the command that comes out of this is actually a command to conduct yourself with fear. And at the very beginning, God is described as both a father and a judge, okay? I don't know if you've ever had to stand before a judge. Don't raise your hand right now. 
I've had to stand before a judge. No need going into that story. It's a very intimidating situation. Even if you think you're innocent, it's intimidating. What is so intimidating about that? Well, so much is out of your hands. And so much of what happens, what decision is made about you, right, is in the hands of a human being. And unless that guy's your uncle or that lady's your aunt, you don't know if he or she is for your good, right? You don't know, and that's fearful. To put yourself in the hands of somebody to make a judgment and you don't know if they're for your good is a scary thing. But the familial connection here is so important because, see, good dads make judgments too. There's a difference between standing in front of a judge you don't know, knowing that he or she will make a decision over your life that you'll have to live with versus standing in front of your dad, who you know, hopefully, and if you didn't have a good father, right, we're pointing you to a better father, your father in heaven. You can trust his judgments. He's for your good. He is loving and kind, and he is just. Your father, your heavenly father, is also your eternal judge. Okay? We'll come back to the fear in just a minute. But here's how I would word this. Your heavenly father is also your eternal judge. Good dads make just judgments. There's a difference between standing before a stranger and placing your life in their hands to render a sentence over you versus standing before your father who loves you and then hearing his sentence. Here's the good news. He has already rendered his sentence over you. Turns out you're guilty. In the courtroom of eternity, God the Father has said you are guilty and deserve to be punished for your disobedience. I just said it. He's just, but he's also kind. He then sent his son to serve your sentence, to set you free from your punishment. Your judge is also your dad. And Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He is your Spiritually speaking, your sibling. So I believe God is saying to us in this passage, because you know me and you know I love you, you can trust my judgments. So I want to start there before we get to fear. Because if we just read judge and fear, we're going to go to the courtroom, right? And the judge is not going to be a kind person, not going to be somebody that we know, not somebody we can trust. But we have to start with, if you call him father, he is also, understand, he is also your judge. Let's talk about fear. Fear is the feeling you get or the emotion you experience when you think or believe you're in danger. Pretty simple, right? I feel fear because I'm in danger. Now, am I always in danger when I feel fear? No. Am I sometimes in danger and don't feel fear? Yeah. I was a teenage boy once. Fearless, a.k.a. stupidity. So it's not a perfect metric, but we should pay attention to fear. Right? Like, he's calling us. Actually, that's the command. Conduct yourselves in fear. 
Fear of who? God, who is both your father and your judge. So give you some, some practical things here to think about. What do you do when you feel fear? This works with God and it works with everything else in life. First question is this, what is the potential danger? You can stop, I feel fear. Is it rational, irrational? I don't know, let me stop. What is the potential danger I'm scared of? What am I afraid is going to happen? That's the starting point, okay? But this, from there, then we ask a ses- second question because this is a potential danger, right? You with me? If I'm on a plane ride, I'm flying through the air, and I start to feel fear that the plane is going to crash, I have to ask, what am I scared of? Oh, it's the potential that this, tra- this plane, this train, if it's a train and you're in the air, you're going to crash. It's not going to be good. Plane. If you're in the plane and you're in the air, there's a potential danger, right? So that's the potential danger. The question, next question is, am I in danger? As we apply this to God, we ask, what is the danger with God? What is the danger? The danger is that God is the judge and we're guilty. And he can do whatever he wants. That's the first answer. What's the potential danger? This should strike you and me with awe and reverence. This is the idea of fear. That should cause us to have a certain sense of reverence and awe when we think about God, when we approach God. But that doesn't mean that we have to hide from him or try to protect ourselves from him. Like Adam and Eve did in the garden, hiding and trying to protect themselves from God. Because the second question is just as important. Am I actually in danger? If you're here and you're in Christ, you have been born again to a living hope with an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading, undefiled, being kept for you. When we fix our minds on the grace of Jesus, listen, we're reminded that we're actually not in danger with God in an eternal sense. We're not in danger. How can we be sure? Because he chose you as an exile and caused you to be born again and gave you this inheritance that can't be touched by evil or time and like everything he's already said. And before he gave us this command, what did Peter say? Set your hope fully on what? The grace. So here's the good news. If you're in Christ, you are not in danger. When you think about this idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, I believe this is how we get to wisdom. A true place of wisdom is saying, okay, what am I scared of? If it's God, I need to ask, okay, well, what am I scared of God? What, what's the potential danger here? And then I have to ask the question, but am I in danger? My, my, my boys can do a lot to disappoint me, but there has never been a time that either one of them has been alive that they've ever been in danger of me. Now, there's been reason to be fearful of what I could do. but they aren't actually in danger. And so the command is to conduct yourself with fear. Fear of who or what? 
I believe this is calling us to fear the Lord because he is your father and he is your judge. With your hope set on the grace of Jesus, the third command is to live in awe and reverence of God. That's a good thing. Now the last command comes in verses 22 through 25. I love this passage. Could do a whole sermon right here. Uh, having, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. I love that reminder from Peter that the purification of your soul, the way that you actually become holy and righteous is through your obedience to the truth. What is the, the truth we're talking about here? I believe is the gospel. That's where he's been this whole chapter. This truth that you have been born again and have this inheritance. And so he said, like, if the obedience to the truth will actually purify your soul. What is, what is the truth of the gospel? Believe in Jesus and him alone and you will be saved. What's the obedience piece? Believe. Faith. Faith alone in Christ alone. And when we obey that truth, it leads to the purification of our souls. I'm not going to unpack that any further here because the connection here is really going to get to brotherly love. And I like the connection of like, this purification of my soul is not just unto myself so I can float around the universe as this holy, pure being, but so that I might have better relationships with you. Let's read it again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Here comes the command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart or from your pure heart. You've been given a pure heart to do something with it. First, relate to God and have a relationship with him and enjoy your relationship with your heavenly father who's a good father and he's a righteous judge. Your soul's been purified. Your obedience to the truth. Enjoy that. Walk in that relationship. Live in that relationship and with one another. You've been purified unto a relationship with God and unto brotherly love. And then verse 23, he's going to circle back around. It's like it's bookended with this good news of the gospel. So he gives these four commands. He says this in 23, since what? You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You weren't born again through your obedience, through your pursuit of holiness. You were born again through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the, like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. By the way, I think this is referring back to if you start hanging your hope on other things, you're going to be hanging your hope on things that are going to fall and wither and fade away, like grass. He's comparing that to the abiding word of God. He says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You can hang your hat on that one. And his word is the good news that was preached to you. I'm going to just land with command number four. With your hope set on the grace of Jesus, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. What do you do with this pure heart? Love God and love others. Huh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Love God, obey God, pursue a life of holiness being like him, and pursue sincere brotherly love with others.
That's what you do with this pure heart. All right, we're going to land here, and um, I'm going to ask some questions for you to think about just the application of what we read today. And really kind of the umbrella question over what I'm going to ask is this, what would it look like for you to live your life in obedience to the commands in 1 Peter, just the ones we read today, verses 13 and 25 this week? What would it look like for you to do that? Just more specifically, you can think of it this way, what would it look like for you to completely set your hope on the grace of Jesus this week? What hope do you need to let go of Right? And then what would it look like for you to take that hope and put it on him? How can you strive toward living set apart from the world? Specifically this week, like what are some, some ways that you've noticed your life conforming to the patterns of the world, the world you live in, work, home, some way? Specifically, what could you do to strive towards living in holiness, set apart, be different. Here's another question. Do you live your life in awe and reverence of God? Even though we have this familiar relationship with God, we can be too flippant with it. Sometimes my boys will come in and be too flippant with me. I'm like, do you think I'm one of your friends? Hey, I love that we have this relationship and we're connected, but I'm not your homie. I'm not your bro. Right? So even though we have this familiar relationship with God, do we also live your life in awe and reverence of God? And then what do you believe God wants to change in you about the way you love others this week? What would it look like for you to sincerely love others this week? With brotherly affection. I want to pray for us now and invite the worship team back out. Uh, also invite our prayer partners to come to the front. They're here to pray for you. Um, we'll be honored to do that. Um, and our elders will be around as well out in the commons if you need to ask any questions about the church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, God, this passage in Peter is just so helpful, challenging. On one hand, Father, many of us strive to see you as, as kind and good. And maybe there are others of us here today that lose sight of your awe and, and God, the, the reverence, God, that you deserve. So maybe some of us here today are too caught up in this idea that you're mad and disappointed and you're not a good dad and we just got to keep working harder to make you happy. But there may be some of us here today that are just taking that relationship too flippant and like, oh, that's fine. God, you're going to forgive us anyway, and so we don't, don't even think about or pursue holiness. And Father, thank you for today just pulling all that together, that you have called us to be obedient children and pursue holiness, to be like you, to be set apart, to be morally pure. God, this is rooted in this beautiful truth that we've been born again. We've been born again to a living hope and to an inheritance that is being kept for us. So, Father, I pray for any person here or who's listening online who can hear my voice who does not have that hope, who does not have that relationship with Jesus, who has not been born again. I pray right now, God, that your spirit would work and stir and move and convict and draw and invite. 
for you to do work that is supernatural in that person. Open their eyes to see the goodness of Jesus. Give them the faith that they need to believe the gospel. Draw them to salvation today. Father, for those of us who are Christians, and thank you for anchoring our souls to the truth of your word today, reminding us of your goodness, calling us to obedience. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.